Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, for your good work in our hearts and in our lives, giving us faith to turn to Jesus Christ, to embrace Him and to love Him. And we thank you, Father, that uh, this is a a great uh, sovereign work accomplished by you. And as we reflect on the fact that you are pleased to draw us to yourself in this way, uh, we can give you thanks that we do indeed belong to you. And we pray that more and more you will be pleased to work in our hearts to assure us of the fact that uh, we indeed do belong to you and that you are our God. Uh, we pray for uh, the uh, other participate, participants in the camp, uh, those of other ages uh, in uh, the various classes that are taking place now, and that you'll be pleased uh, to bless them. Uh, bless Calvin Traup as he's uh, teaching, and uh, bless Joel Hart as he's teaching, and uh, bless those who are in the classes, and bless us here that uh, you may be present with us in a special way to apply your word to our hearts. And although, Father, there are familiar things which uh, we are reviewing, uh, we pray that uh, you'll be pleased to give us new insight into uh, these old and great truths that come to us uh, from your word. Uh, so be pleased to bless us to this end uh, during this hour, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Uh, God's glory in the good news of his providential care over us. That's the title of the lesson for uh, this session. Uh, we've already dipped into uh, God's providential care uh, for us, and uh, so uh, I'll probably not uh, spend a lot of time in that that first piece, uh, but uh, uh, go over it more quickly. Uh, but uh, it is uh, important for us to know once again uh, of God's care, intimate care uh, for us in all that takes place in our lives, and. Uh, you and I need to be confident in this providential care of God and rest in the hands of God. Uh, this is one of the points uh, that we should take away from a lesson like this, that we really do need to learn to rest in the providential care uh, of our God. Now, uh, uh, taking uh, just a, a step or two back, uh, to uh, our lesson uh, yesterday morning, I want to remind you of the fact that uh, the part of the catechism with which we're dealing now uh, has to do with uh, the life of Adam and Eve uh, as they were brought forth from the hand of God before the fall. <laughs> and... Uh, 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 after getting a couple of questions 
yesterday afternoon uh, with regard to the lesson yesterday morning and our, our uh, accepting one another as we are because we're creatures of God and this is how God created us. Uh, I, I think we re- need to remind ourselves that the context of the lesson yesterday morning was pre-fall. And uh, the, the question that arose uh, was this, well, uh, uh, what about sin that's in the world? What about uh, uh, these kinds of things? We don't accept uh, the sin that's in ourselves and we don't accept the sin that, that's in our neighbor, do we? Well, no, that's uh, not the case. Uh, so uh, I'm just reminding us of the fact that part of the application uh, from uh, yesterday having to do with the pre-fall circumstances of life uh, involves accepting ourselves uh, as God has uh, been pleased to frame us, and uh, I think this is the case. Uh, I have a, a colleague, uh, more than one colleague, uh, who's uh, uh, less than five feet six inches tall. And uh, uh, these colleagues are... Uh, rather self-conscious of the fact that they're not six feet three inches tall, uh, that they're rather uh, short in stature. So what (laughs) is my reaction? Uh, That has little to do with uh, how we can live adequately in this world. And uh, so, so we need to accept ourselves uh, along these lines that, that this is how God has framed us. And uh, uh, we do change, as we talked about uh, 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 God being the uh, great unchangeable God, and, and uh, although we are in His image, we ourselves change. And uh, in this life, would that it would not be the case uh, that uh, uh, we would decline as rapidly as we do. But we have to accept the fact that this is the case. And uh, so, so this was kind of the, the direction I was pushing uh, yesterday morning, uh, uh, being mindful of the fact that we were talking about the pre-fall uh, condition of humanity. Now we're going to uh, move, especially after we uh, talk a little bit more about uh, God's providence, we're going to move into uh, sin and the fall and the consequences of the fall. And uh, so uh, circumstances change then, don't they? Uh, rather dramatically. Well, uh, let's get into the lesson uh, then. Uh, the text I have before you is Ephesians 1, 11, and 12. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. The note of providence. And uh, uh, you see question 11 there. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of His creatures and all of their actions. Governing all of His creatures and all of His actions. 
uh, uh, at the moment, uh, I smile at myself because uh, I think of uh, myself as a little guy uh, in elementary school, walking home uh, from school by myself uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, a few years ago, elementary school, and passing by the yard uh, where uh, there seemed to me to be a very ferocious dog. And uh, uh, it frightened me no end because I would have to pass by this yard and this dog would run out of the yard, yap, 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 barking and snarling. And my heart was in my throat and I'd get out of there as quick as I can. Uh, And uh, I'm reminded of circumstances like this when uh, I read this answer. God's works of providence are... His most holy, wise, and powerful. You wonder about the wisdom of a dog chasing a little kid. <laughs> but, but this is God's providence, right? He's in control of all things. His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of His creatures and all of their actions. I wasn't a Christian at the time, and so I didn't have this... Uh, uh, matter settled in my heart that uh, God is about preserving all of His creatures. I'm one of His creatures. I'm one of His little creatures. And that dog is another one of His creatures. <laughs> Ouch! And uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't have that perspective. And it ter- It literally it terrified me uh, to walk by this yard. And uh, I remember, it's interesting, isn't it, Uh, the memories that you have, the little snippets uh, from long ago that you have. Uh, I remember uh, walking by that yard one morning, and I determined uh, that that dog wasn't going to get me. And so when that dog came out, I hauled off and kicked that dog as hard as I could in the side of the head. And I, I remember hearing a crack. When I, when I hit that dog, and that dog uh, ran a, whimpering away. It's a good thing the neighbor didn't catch me. <laughs> but yet you see, all of these things, every one of these things, great and small, are encompassed in the providence of God. There is not one thing that is outside of His uh, good uh, providence, uh, preserving care, and uh, uh, there is not one action that occurs in this creation that is outside of the realm of God's care. Nothing occurs by accident. And uh, some of us have already been talking about uh, this sort of thing as, as we've uh, uh, been out on the lawn, you know. Well, that just happened by accident. Well, not really, you, you see. Uh, nothing occurs uh, by accident. And uh, uh, you and I uh, need to understand that this is the case. The Lord is righteous in all of His ways and kind in all of His works. 
the kindness of the great God of heaven is behind all of his works. Now, uh, one of our uh, dear brothers who's not unable to be here uh, has pneumonia. And a few years ago, uh, I had pneumonia. And when you're hacking and coughing uh, so that your gut hurts every time you take a breath, you, you begin to wonder about the kindness of God. Uh, uh, but, but the truth of the matter is uh, that there are lessons in all of these things and that God's kindness, His loving kindness, His covenant love is behind every one of these circumstances. And you and I need to be reminded of this. O oh Lord, how manifold are Your works in wisdom. You made them all. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. He is the great king and lord of all. Praise God that this is the case. And uh, it's this text uh, to which I made reference yesterday uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you who are more of more value than many sparrows. Thank you, Lord, that this is the case. Now here, here is an astounding step. Uh, that we see in the Catechism, coming to uh, question 12. What special act of providence did God exercise toward man in the estate wherein he was created? So now, uh, the uh, work of God in setting forth uh, what the Catechism here calls the covenant of life, and we sometimes uh, call the covenant of works, is uh, part of God's providence. Okay. And of course, what does this all uh, lead to? Uh, all of this leads to sin and the fall, which is also part of God's providence. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to reflect on these things a little bit more uh, as we get into uh, our sessions. Uh, but it's under the rubric, it's under the heading, it's under uh, the title, if you will, of God's providence that uh, we see God act in these ways and uh, Adam and Eve respond to God's actions in these ways all under the heading of the providence of God and the governing and preserving of uh, the creatures of God, God's creatures, and all of their actions. 
And uh, so we, we have to fit these things together uh, properly, uh, you see. Uh, so uh, here we do, here, here we come to question 12. What special act of providence did God exercise toward man in the estate wherein he was created? When God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. And uh, I, I want to bear down on this idea uh, uh, just for a little bit of a special act of providence. You see, this is how uh, the Westminster Divines uh, set it forth uh, in the Catechism. Now, the reason I'm bearing down on this uh, is the fact that it's very popular uh, in Reformed circles, even in Reformed circles these days, I probably shouldn't say even, but it's uh, uh, popular in Reformed circles uh, these days to speak of uh, the creation covenant or the covenant with creation. As though when the world came into existence and... Uh, Adam and Eve were placed in the world, they were already, by virtue of their creation, in a covenant relationship with God. Right? And uh, I'm, I'm drawing back from, from that uh, teaching because the Catechism, rightly, I think, uh, says to us, uh, that after uh, God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden uh, by a special act of providence, right? the, the language, it seems to me, is very purposeful. By a special act of providence, He entered into a covenant of life uh, with Him, that is, uh, with Adam. Now, uh, I have a couple of objections, and I've already alluded to one, uh, to this idea of a creation uh, covenant. And uh, those who argue uh, for this idea of a creation uh, covenant or, or a, a covenant with creation speak of the fact that God has made a covenant with the created order. So, well, fine and good... Uh, and it's kind of uh, striking, I think, that uh, uh, Calvin and uh, the annotations, uh, uh, Westminster's uh, annotations, uh, speaks about uh, uh, this covenant in terms of a promise that God has made uh, to always uh, uh, keep the uh, order of things uh, in creation. Uh, rather than there being a covenant made uh, with creation. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Uh, covenants are established uh, with moral beings. <laughs> you have to understand that this is the case. Covenants are established... Uh, in this world between moral beings. 
Individuals who can say yea or nay to the terms of the covenant. This is quite important and quite striking. Covenants are not made with inanimate objects. Hello. <laughs> it's not possible to make covenants with rocks and stones and trees. You may want to be a tree hugger. Uh, fine. Uh, you go be a tree hugger. Uh, I don't approve of that sort of thing, but <laughs> uh, I don't think it will be helpful. And uh, you're not going to establish some kind of formal agreement and uh, covenant with the trees. No. Covenants are made between moral beings and not with inanimate objects. And so I object to this whole idea of a covenant with creation. Okay? And so that's one thing. And uh, the other thing I've, I've actually already spoken to is this idea of uh, uh, embedded in the uh, question and answer what special act of providence indicating that God came along uh, after He had created the world, after He had put Adam, Adam into the world, then He came and uh, gave this command, You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. It's in that context that uh, God gives uh, the uh, commandment. Uh, I was asked before the class uh, if uh, uh, I was going to go to anything controversial. I said, why, why would you want to go to anything controversial? And so, uh, for some, uh, I may have already gone in that direction. Uh, if that's the case, feel free to come and talk to me. Well, I'll be happy to listen. I will. Uh, Okay, back to uh, question 12. Uh, when God created man, answer 12, He entered into a covenant of life with Him. Now, uh, of course, the text uh, that's given uh, to us is uh, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, uh, You may surely eat of any, every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. And the idea here is uh, that you are not to eat of uh, this tree uh, which is forbidden. And uh, the command of God is uh, that Adam uh, and uh, his posterity could eat of any other tree in the garden. All other trees in the garden were acceptable uh, to Adam and then to Eve uh, for uh, food and for sustenance, etc. And I take this to mean uh, also the tree of life, that Adam uh, was privileged to eat of the tree of life. Now, uh, uh, you see, the implication of the commandment given by God, you shall not eat of uh, the tree uh, in the garden that I'm forbidding you to eat from, uh, uh, because if you eat from it, you shall surely die. The implication of uh, that command is that if you obey that command, you'll live. Correct? 
I mean, that's, that's the clear implication of the command. And so, uh, the catechism uh, speaks of it as a covenant of life with Adam. And I think that's the idea. And as long as Adam maintained his uh, status properly before God, loving God by keeping uh, God's commandment, he was privileged of celebrating the fact that he had life uh, before God by eating from the tree of life. And uh, the tree of life is uh, often understood by commentators to be a sacrament. Uh, that is, signifying, uh, partaking of the tree of life uh, was a, a sign and a seal of the fact that Adam had life before God. Say, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful uh, position uh, that uh, would have been uh, for Adam uh, to be in and then uh, subsequently for Eve. And of course, uh, the command as we read it in uh, Genesis is given to Adam. And subsequently, uh, we have the record of uh, the creation of Eve. And so it would have been incumbent upon Adam to teach Eve uh, the commandments of God and the stipulations of God uh, with regard to uh, this particular commandment. Uh, back to the answer. Uh, when God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him. And uh, so we've, we've uh, uh, spoken about the idea of a covenant of life and uh, uh, we often refer to this as the covenant of works because uh, Adam, uh, according to the command given to him by God, would have achieved life. Uh, and uh, let, let me, let me uh, pause here uh, to say life, not uh, in perpetuity in the garden, but a life that is was of a higher uh, degree of a higher status, of a, a greater beauty and uh, understanding, the kind of life that we uh, understand to be life in heaven with God. Okay, Not just life in perpetuity in the garden, but a, a greater life, uh, you see. And he would achieve that greater life by obedience, by his own works. And so we uh, call it uh, often the covenant of works. Now the Reformed, you see, I'm giving you the, the, the standard Reformed uh, position uh, that the life to which uh, God is referring to is a higher life. Okay? Uh, the life that you and I think of that is achieved uh, by Jesus Christ and given to us by grace through Christ uh, that we have as a result of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. See, this is the kind of life uh, we should understand that God is offering Adam by way of obedience. Uh, the Lutheran view and a, stat, uh, a standard uh, Christian view is life in perpetuity in the garden. You see, and I'm saying that's not what uh, uh, God is indicating here uh, in this command in Genesis chapter two, uh, verses sixteen and uh, seventeen. 
And so, uh, uh, although the garden was pristine, the garden was uh, uh, without uh, any any uh, thing that would uh, would would come close to uh, the problems of sin and the uh, problems of the curse. It, it was just a lush and gorgeous and wonderful place. You and I are not going to be taken back to the garden. We are going to be taken to a much better place than that. Okay. Praise God uh, that this is uh, the case. Uh, okay. Uh, 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 let me get my bearings here again. Uh, uh, question 13. I think we can go, go ahead and on now to uh, question 13. Did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? See? They were in the garden. They had life. They were able to enjoy fellowship with God. Uh, they could uh, partake of the tree of life. There was, this, this is stunning, isn't it? It says, one tree, <laughs> one tree, one tree <laughs> on the face of the earth they were forbidden to partake of. That's it. What freedom they had. And uh, you and I, who are uh, living uh, post-fall, know uh, that when you uh, say to your children, you have the whole house to play in, I don't want you to go into that room and uh, handle those things in that room. That's the first place they want to (laughs) go. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, uh, how we how we think and how we act. But but you see, that wasn't the case with Adam and Eve. They did not have the drag of sin uh, upon them. Uh, and so the question uh, comes: Did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? Uh, answer: Our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created uh, by sinning against God. And so uh, they fell from this uh, wonderful condition and circumstance in which God had placed them. And uh, the Catechism rightly uh, says to us, uh, uh, with regard to uh, Adam and Eve, being left to the freedom of of their own will. In other words, Adam and Eve, amazingly enough, were able to sin, but they were able not to sin. This was their uh, circumstance. Now, I challenge you in this regard. You're fully able to sin. And because of the redemption that is yours in Christ Jesus, you are able not to sin, but not perfectly. (laughs) That's the difference. That's the... the, uh, uh, 
great difference because sin adheres to everything you and I do. Unavoidably, this is the case. Until we reach glory and perfection. In the case of Adam and Eve, it was not so. Being left to the freedom of their own will, able to sin and able not to sin. They were in this, this kind of equilibrium, if you will. They could go in either direction. Now, one of the questions that arises is this. Is it possible for God to be absolutely sovereign and absolutely in control of all things that take place in the world and at the same time man, human beings, be free? That's the great question, isn't it? That's one of the questions that comes to us. And uh, my answer to this question is very simple. Apparently it is. <laughs> because this is how God made the world. I, it seems to me it's as simple as that. You, you don't have to get into uh, uh, some deep uh, theological and philosophical discussions of which I'm not capable, uh, some of you may be, uh, uh, but I'm not. Uh, and I don't think we need to get into those kind of discussions. Apparently, uh, this is exactly what God has done. And even in our circumstances today, you see, we speak about the providence of God uh, and God uh, being uh, absolutely in control of all things. And uh, I would say to you, that in all of your actions, you freely act and do. Okay? You act freely. And uh, we would add to that, you act freely in accordance with who you are. You see, you're, you're a fallen creature, and so you will freely do certain things as a fallen creature. Yeah, you follow me? You, you would freely act and uh, carry out certain sins. You, you act freely in accordance with your nature. Uh, elephants act freely in accordance with their nature. See? They can't act like giraffes. Uh, they don't have long necks and they can't reach up in, into trees above uh, where their trunk can grasp uh, something. We all act freely in accordance with our own nature. And this is how God has made you and me. And God has made and constructed the universe so that He's absolutely in control of all things, and yet His creatures, we who are His creatures, act freely. This is how He has constructed uh, the universe. And so, uh, being left to the freedom of their own will, they fell from their, uh, the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. 
And uh, it's very clear, uh, Genesis 3, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight uh, to the eyes, and that the tree was uh, to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Uh, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, a couple of things uh, here in this text. Uh, The eyes of both of them were opened. They ate of the fruit. Uh, uh, The woman freely says, I was deceived and I took the fruit and I ate. And Adam uh, accedes to the request of Eve and he takes the fruit and he eats. His sin is a brute act of rebellion against the living God. There is no other way to put it than that. He was commanded not to eat of that tree and he took it and he ate of it as an act of rebellion against God. You wonder why a person created in perfection having all that he had and the offer of a more spectacular life and closer fellowship with God than he already had, would disobey God. Providence. 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 Go back up to Psalm 145.17. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all of His works. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are His eternal purpose. God had a purpose in mind here to bring glory to Himself. And how was it that He designed to bring glory to Himself? In large measure, God's design was to offer to Adam this way to a greater and higher life and uh, greater fellowship uh, with himself through obedience. And to design that Adam would sin and fall. That this is part of the divine wisdom so that he could display His greater glory. So that He could display His greater glory. We must allow that to sink in. Nothing happens by accident.
And so they ate. And the Genesis text tells us, the eyes of both of them were opened. And you think to yourself, their eyes were opened. <laughs> their eyes were already open. And I think the idea here in the terminology in the text, their eyes were opened, is the idea of conversion. You remember the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And Christ comes. And they don't recognize Him. And they compel Him to stay with them. And, and uh, in the evening when they have supper and He breaks bread with them, their eyes were opened. And they recognized Jesus Christ for who He was. A conversion took place. My view uh, of the Genesis narrative is this, that there's also a conversion that takes place. It's a negative, you can say it's a negative conversion. They were converted all right. They were converted to evil through rebellion. This is what takes place. And uh, what is the immediate result? They knew that they were naked. All of a sudden, shame enters the picture. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They wanted to cover themselves up. Shame and guilt and fear arise suddenly. See, this is a result of this negative conversion that takes place. This is what happens uh, to uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves. They ran from the presence of the Lord. You and I uh, should take the opposite tack, that when uh, we hear the call to come uh, for worship, we should run to come to meet with the living God. It should be just the opposite tack. Here, Adam and Eve run and hide themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And of course, then they make excuses. This is the standard understanding of the text. And so Ecclesiastes 7.29, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many Schemes, no longer upright. Uh, created with true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, but no longer upright before the living God. Well, I'm going to uh, press on into uh, the second hour uh, here uh, just a little bit. You don't have this. Uh, in the handout that you have. But uh, the next question is, what is sin? Anyone want to answer? Go ahead. What is sin? Sin is any 
All right. Sin. And then uh, uh, question answer 15. What was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? Answer? Okay, mumble, mumble, mumble. <laughs> now, if I was if I was the junior uh, class member and were signing off uh, you on your catechism recitation, I'd say, "Go back and study some more." <laughs> Go back and study some more. Okay, question answer fourteen: Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Uh, uh, and, uh, of course, the law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And, and I uh, related this to you yesterday, that uh, uh, John says in 1 John, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And so, in order to properly express the love of God, God gives to you and me uh, these commandments. Right? And uh, you and I could study out uh, the commandment that's given in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17. You shall not eat of, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. You could study uh, that out and uh, see that uh, when that commandment was violated, uh, every one of the Ten Commandments was, in essence, also violated. Uh, this is the case. Uh, and love, you see, is following, uh, uh, shown forth, exemplified by following the commandments of God. And this is what you and I are uh, uh, called to do. And every time we violate one of the commandments of God... And we are not conformed, our lives are not conformed to the standard of those commandments. We fail to exemplify love. Hello? See? You, you understand that's the case? See? Uh, uh, children uh, prevaricating about what took place at school. Husbands and wives not exactly being open and truthful always with regard to things that take place in the household. Little petty lies. Lack of love. See, that, this is what it comes down to. See, love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, it's, it's a terrible uh, injustice to Scripture for those to say that you have to learn to love yourself first before you, you can learn to love your neighbor. Uh, that's an awful thing. Uh, we love ourselves way too much. <laughs> we need to learn to love our neighbor at least as much as we love ourselves. This is uh, the case. Uh, so, uh, watch yourself. And I'm not in, uh, saying uh, that uh, uh, suddenly there's a great burden that's placed upon you. No, there's freedom here. There's freedom here. 
to love your neighbor and uh, in your family, your spouse, and in your family, your children, to love uh, one another uh, by just following the dictates of the great God of heaven. And the outcomes are good and gracious. And then uh, question uh, 15. Uh, what was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? The sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was their eating the forbidden fruit. Okay? Now again, the catechism is very specific. I go back to this idea of covenant of creation. And uh, some of the authors uh, will indicate uh, uh, to us that the creation ordinances, uh, which are marriage, the Sabbath, and work or labor, that the creation ordinances are part of the covenant of works. <laughs> See, the catechism is very specific here. See, what was the special act of providence? What was the sin then that got Adam and Eve? And, and once again, going back to this idea of the creation uh, ordinances or, or the covenant with creation, if these uh, creation ordinances were part of the covenant of works, that is, uh, keeping the Sabbath, marriage, okay, and labor, if Adam and Eve had, uh, had sinned in their marriage or uh, in violating the Sabbath and therefore violated the covenant of works, and we were later told this, what would be the first question you would ask? I know what the first question I would ask would be, well, what was it that they did on the Sabbath that violated the Sabbath and resulted in the destruction of mankind? That would be the question I would ask. No. These other ordinances, which we call creation ordinances, are not part of the covenant of works. The covenant of works is very specific. The covenant of life is very specific. There's one ordinance. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. That's it. And it's the violation of that command that resulted in the demise of the human race. And uh, this is where we're going to go next as we uh, talk about uh, the... Uh, shorter catechism. And uh, so, uh, I'm going to catch my breath here now. And uh, if you have a question that you would like to uh, ask me, uh, I guess there's a microphone down here we could utilize. Uh, I'd be glad to entertain a question or two. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, right over here. <laughs> the, the verse that the kids are saying today is nine, six, Genesis 9.16, which talks about where God sees the bow and the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. Yeah, but one of the things you said in your lecture is that like, the covenant is between God and a mortal creature. You know, someone that can say yay Correct. or nay, but 
there, there was talking about like every living creature. And I guess I've always understood that as being part of the covenant of creation. Was that every Correct. Correct. Uh, the, and what's the text there again? Okay, Uh, this idea of of covenant uh, with creation. Yeah, this is part of the argument that those who argue the case for uh, a covenant with creation, this is one of the texts that that they go to. And uh, uh, the the idea there is, uh, that I uh, sought to relate a little bit earlier, uh, is that uh, Calvin, and I agree with Calvin, and the annotations to the Westminster Confession uh, that uh, were uh, uh, published by uh, many of the Westminster d- divines uh, uh, understand that text to, to uh, mean uh, that uh, the term covenant re- refers to a promise that God makes, okay? Uh, rather than uh, uh, the kind of moral covenant that we think of uh, in terms of uh, the covenant of grace or the covenant of works. Uh, that that's their understanding of it. Okay? All right. Any other questions? With that understanding you just said, then, would the Noahic covenant be understood then as a promise and not really a covenant from God? The Noahic covenant uh, as a promise rather uh, than a covenant. Uh, 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 two things uh, to discern in uh, uh, the Noahic covenant, as I think uh, you should discern in uh, 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 the covenant of works or the, the covenant of life, and uh, also, uh, as uh, we will see it unfolded, in uh, the covenant of grace. That uh, God's covenants with uh, His moral creatures, that is, the likes of us, turn out to have an effect on the creation around us. All right? And uh, uh, you you see this clearly uh, in the fall, that as a result of uh, the fall as a part of the punishment that comes upon Adam, that uh, the creation itself is affected, all right? Uh, that, it, that it's part and parcel in this respect. And uh, when you think about uh, the Noahic covenant and the, and the covenant with Noah, you see, I would, I would approach it in this same way, that uh, it is a promise that's, that's of course that it's made that is made with Noah, and it has to do uh, with all of the creation uh, from that day forward until uh, the second coming of Christ. Uh, but also, uh, as you study the idea of the covenant, uh, uh, the covenant with Noah is an also an expression of the covenant of grace, and Noah is caught up in the grace of God. Uh, So you have those two aspects, I think, uh, that come uh, to the fore in uh, the Noahic Covenant. All right, other uh, questions or comments? Right down here in front. Okay, two things. It was God's providence that Adam should fall and the idea of a higher life. Okay. First, understanding God's providence that God's providence involves 
all that occurs in this world, that God is absolutely in control of all things. And uh, as this is the case, it is part of God's sovereign uh, purpose and plan that there should be a fall. Okay? I, I think that's unavoidable that that's the case. Now, uh, I said earlier that there's purpose in this. All right, there's purpose in this, and uh, hang on, <laughs> because we're going to see that uh, purpose, and uh, it's a great mystery to us uh, in many regards as to why this should be the case. It seems totally unjust in many respects, uh, and, and I understand that this is the case, and, and so my plea at this point is, hang on, we're going to go there. Secondly. Understand that part of the point of the idea of the covenant of life is to give Adam an opportunity not simply to stay in the garden and continue to enjoy life in the garden, but to, but to gain much more than that. And the much more than that involves what we conceive today as heaven above that we would that we receive through the redemption that is given to us through Jesus Christ okay and uh, it turns out that what Adam and Eve were experiencing in the garden uh, with the wonders that were in the garden and the fellowship that they had with God in the garden was a, a foretaste of what they could expect if they kept the covenant of works and obeyed God. They would have much more and a, a greater and closer fellowship with God than they experienced in the garden. And uh, so, uh, uh, this is what I mean uh, by a greater life, okay? Uh, hopefully that helps. All right, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you uh, for your goodness and grace. We're uh, overawed in many respects by uh, the things that you teach us in your word. And we pray that uh, we may have hearts to understand, and ears to hear, and eyes to see. Be pleased to bless us, we pray, and give us your grace. Thank you now for a short time of rest and intermission and refreshment, and bring us back then that we may dip further into your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.